praise the Lord for our worship thus far. And we praise God for the power that is found in the wonder-working blood of the Lamb. If you are visiting with us today, uh, we say welcome. We are glad that you have chosen to worship the one true living God uh, with us at Forest Baptist Church. If you know Jesus, we pray that uh, through today's worship experience that you would come to, to enjoy him and to know him more. And if you don't have a relationship with him, our earnest desire is that a seed may be planted so that the Lord may water that seed and bring you to know Jesus. Uh, you may think that we're crazy because we're shouting and happy and, and uh, so joyful this morning. But honestly, we're not drunk with wine. Uh, we, we just are drunk off of Jesus. And, and we believe that the Bible, that he is who the Bible says he is. Amen? Uh, it has been said that the sins of the world inevitably becomes the sins of the church. And unfortunately, uh, that in many cases is true. The church often begins to reflect the culture rather than the culture reflecting the church. In 1 Corinthians, a book that we have been journaling, uh, began journaling through together, uh, we see that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church that's in a, a metropolitan area called Corinth. Corinth was a, a large city, and as a result of being a large city, a very uh, happening, kind of popping place, uh, we see that the church has begun to, to take uh, the stance that, that the world was taking on many issues. But the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in order to appoint the church back to Jesus. And he is telling the church at Corinth that they need to stop worshiping the gifts that they have. They need to stop worshiping human philosophy and they need to worship the gift. 1 Corinthians chapter, eight, chapter 1, verse 18 through 31, we see Paul continues to encourage the church in this way. Let's stand to our feet as we read God's word. Book of Nehemiah chapter 8, we see the congregation of Israel standing to their feet as the law of God was read, so we do that um, symbolically saying, Lord, help our, our hearts to stand at attention to your word. We also see in that same passage that as the law was read, that there was priests scattered throughout the crowd, and they actually explained what was being read. And that is a model of what we call expository preaching, explaining what is being read. And as a church, that's what we try to do. Whatever we read in the Bible... We try to make sure that we explain what it means. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. There is, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where the debater of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word because it truly is life. I pray that you would speak, that you would speak clearly to our hearts, that you would help us to understand not only this passage, but help us to understand what you are calling us to as your church. For those who are not uh, part of the church, I pray, Father God, that you would allow this passage to begin to to break up that stony heart of human wisdom. Bless your word in the hearts of your people. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever tried to explain to someone what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And in the midst of explaining what the Bible teaches about Jesus, you begin to think to yourself, man, this must sound crazy. This has to sound absurd. They have to think that I'm from like another planet or something. Have you ever tried to talk to someone who does not know about Jesus and in the midst of it, you begin to say, I believe it's true, I know it's true, but this sounds weird. I mean, let's let's face it. As Christians, what we believe is very unique. It is very different Uh, to the world and those who don't know Jesus. They may even say it's very strange or it's foolish. But to us who know Jesus, we know it's the truth. Think about what we believe for a second. When we talk to someone about what the Bible teaches about Jesus, we tell them that Jesus has always been. He is an eternal being who was here before the foundation of the world. We tell them that this eternal being who was not created and who has always been here that he was born of a woman, that the Holy Spirit implanted him in the womb of a virgin. We tell him that this man named Jesus 
lived for 33 some odd years and never made a mistake, never committed a sin. We tell them that this same innocent, perfect man died the worst and most degrading death of, his time, of the time on a cross for imperfect people. We preach that this man was put in a tomb and died. And not only did he die, but that he was resurrected from the grave. And not only was he resurrected from the grave, but that he walked and lived among the people for 40 days after his resurrection. And not only did he appear for 40 days and appear to over 500 people, but he then flew back to heaven and left the earth and disappeared in the clouds. That sounds crazy. And sometimes in the midst of, of telling people that we may not have, have confidence or we may think to ourselves, man, this sounds weird. But as Christians, we stand on the word of God and we believe and we, we know it's true so we can say it with confidence. This summary of what I just gave you about Jesus is what the Apostle Paul calls the word of the cross. In verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross. Whenever the Apostle Paul mentions and uses the word cross in his writings, he is speaking of the full redemptive work of Jesus. He is speaking of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus as well as the benefits that believers have in him. So when we talk about the cross, when we mention the cross, we're talking about the full redemptive work of Jesus, not just him dying on a tree. It's important for us to realize that as we approach this text, because in this text we see uh, right off the bat that the Apostle Paul is, is telling the church of Corinth that there are two responses to the cross. Anytime the, the message of the cross is preached, there are only two responses. There are only two types of people. There are those who reject the message of the cross, and there are those who accept the message of the cross. The Apostle Paul is, is writing this to the church of Corinth because it seems that they have begun to waver on the foundation by which they are to be standing. It seems that they are beginning to, to feel like the, they have to move beyond the cross. They are looking for human philosophies in order to in, impress each other and impress people who are outside of the church. But the Apostle Paul writes this section of scripture in order to tell the church that the cross is two things. Number one, the cross is the very wisdom of God, Sophie. It is the very uh, uh, expression of God. It is the way that God chooses to reveal himself to mankind. But not only is it the, the wisdom of God, the Apostle Paul teaches it is the very power of God. It's the very dunamis of God. As, as he says in Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 16, the power, uh, uh, the, the cross is the very power of God unto salvation. It is the message by which we are saved. It is the message by which we are being saved. 
It is the message in which we shall completely one day be saved. And as Christians, we have to make sure that we hold on to the cross. We have to make sure that we don't allow Satan to sell lies to us that says that the cross is what saved me, but it's not what sanctifies me. Or the cross is something that should be tacked on at the end of the sermon. Some of us, when we hear the cross preach, we get bored. And we come and we say, I wish, wish the sermon was about something else. There are two responses to the cross. The first is rejection. The second is full acceptance. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That word folly in the Greek is the word moronic. It's where we get the word moron from. He says to those who are perishing, to those who are outside of Jesus, who have never put their faith and trust in him, when we preach the full redemptive work of Jesus, we sound like morons. We sound inintelligent, unintelligent. We sound foolish. It's offensive. It's obscene. It's old. It has no relevance. It's a myth. It's, it's made up. And then we see Paul in this letter showing us how two different groups respond to the cross. The first group is the Jews. Look at verse 22. For Jews demand signs. And the second group is the Greeks. And Greeks seek wisdom. So the Apostle Paul says when when the the message of the cross is preached, there are two uh, type of people that he was addressing that that reject this message. One was Jews. They were supposed to be, uh, they were the the people of God, the the, the people whom God chose uh, to reveal himself through, who would then reveal uh, God to the rest of the world. And he says to, to the Jews, look at what he says in verse 22. He says, they demand signs. And then he goes on and talks a little more about the Jews And he continues in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So to the Jews, he says it's it's two things. Number one, Jews, when they hear the cross preached, they demand signs. And number two, it's a a stumbling block to them. The word stumbling block in the Greek is the word scandalon. It's where we get the English word scandal from. So it's not something that they just happen to trip over. It's something that they see as scandalous. Some of y'all watch that show, Scandal, right? And that, that, that television show, and everything is just a scandalous show. Everything is just scandalous, right? He's saying to the Jews, the message of the cross is scandalous. See, see the Jews, they, they did. When Jesus was walking the earth and he was ministering, uh, uh, we read in Mark that, and in Matthew's account uh, that, that they constantly asked him to see a sign. They had hard hearts towards Jesus' message. The Bible says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would always tempt them and say, if you're really the, the, the son of God, the, the son of man, then you should be able to give us a sign. Give us a sign. See, their hearts were hard towards Jesus. They did not have faith in Jesus. Just like Israel did not have faith in God in the wilderness, they didn't have faith in Jesus. 
And because they didn't have faith in Jesus, they always wanted him to perform for them. In fact, they were really uh, trying to control him, trying to be God. And that came from a heart that did not want to rest on faith, but that wanted to rest on works. Not only did they, have a, did they seek signs, but the Bible says that, that the Jews were constantly, constantly just standing on their own works. The message of the cross was scandalous to them because the message of the cross is a message that says that when it comes to salvation, human beings are not the ones in control. When it comes to salvation, human beings are humbled because salvation is about not their righteousness or our righteousness, but it's about Jesus' righteousness. And it's not only about Jesus' righteousness, but it's about us having to put our faith into Jesus in order to be seen as righteous by God. But the Jews were constantly living in self-effort. They were constantly living for human recognition. They were constantly living in a way that said, uh, uh, I can earn God's love, and I earn God's respect. I earn God's acceptance by doing. Their hearts were hard. We read in Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 33. Look at what the Bible says. What shall then shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over a stumbling stone. But as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he says, Jews, they stumble, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just like in Romans, they stumble over Jesus because salvation requires faith in Jesus, and salvation is the work of God. Think about it. Think about the analogy that Jesus used when he was talking to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. Now, when we hear that, we say, oh, yeah, we must be, be born of the Spirit, and we do kind of weird things with that, and yeah, we must meet God halfway, and we must do this, we must do that. But that analogy is a powerful analogy. When you were born, what did you contribute to your birth? Were you in the womb just like pushing and crawling out? Did you peek your head out and say, hey, mom, I got it from here? <laughs> no. No. You were born because of the work of another. It's the same way in the Christian faith. We are born again because of the work of God. It's supernatural. But to the Jews, that was a stumbling stone. But then we see a, a second, a second, uh, another issue with the Jews. Uh, the Jews 
had a, a picture of the Messiah that said that the Messiah was going to reign and, and rule. When God brought him forth, he was going to take Rome captive. He was going to exalt the Jews over the Greeks and the Romans. And he was going to be, be king. So they saw the Messiah coming as one who was just powerful and strong and one who would take the kingdom by force. But God, in his wisdom, did not allow the Messiah to come in the way that they thought the Messiah was going to come. The Messiah did not come as one who just pushed himself on people, but rather he came to serve humanity. And not only did he come to, to serve humanity, but he suffered. He suffered a death on the cross that was so offensive to them that it caused them to say, there's no way that's my Messiah. There's no way that's the one who we've been waiting on. The one we've been waiting on is not one who would subject himself to death on the cross, but it's one who is going to uproot this nation and allow us to rule together. So they stumbled over it. See, God's wisdom isn't like our wisdom. God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. Sometimes we think that God should come this way. And God comes another way. And because we have our own agenda and our own plan, we miss what God is doing and what God has. Then we had the Greeks. It says the Jews stumble. The Jews can't get over the fact that Jesus didn't come the way that they wanted him to come and salvation doesn't come the way that they would want it to come. But then the Greeks, the Bible says this. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. And then in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he goes on to say uh, in verse 23 that to, to the Gentiles, uh, they see the gospel as folly, as foolish. Because they are thinking and they are in love with wisdom. Wisdom. Phileo Sophia. Phileo love. Sophia. That's where we get the word philosophy from. It is the, the love of, of deep thought. They were in love with deep thought. But it wasn't a deep thought that came from knowing God. It was a, a human Constructed thought. They were in love with trying to come up with different things and different theories about who God was. They were in love with trying to figure out who can come up with the most savvy way to think about the origin of the universe and, and how men are saved. The Bible says that the cross, the message of Jesus, is, is foolish to them. It's too simple. It's offensive. Those who reign and those who rule are those who are strong. But Jesus, he was weak. This is, this is silly, Paul says of the Greeks. And that's what human wisdom is. Human wisdom tries to, to edge God out. Human wisdom is egocentric. God's wisdom is eternal. It, it's, it's way different than man's wisdom. 
Human wisdom is self-centered and self-focused. God's wisdom is is kingdom-focused and glory-focused. It's focused on, on him. And even in the church, we have these same two attitudes. When it comes to the cross, we have some who go to church and who say that they're Christians, but the cross is not the center of your life. The center of your life, and, and, and when it boils down to it, is all about your good deeds. Like the Jews. We can say we're Christian, but if, if we believe that when we die and stand before God, that what's going to impress God is our works, our effort, well, why should you make it to heaven when you die? And I hear this all the time as a pastor. I always ask people, what does it mean to be a Christian? And when you stand before God, what do you think is going to make you acceptable before God? And I understand that when a pastor asks you that or someone asks you that, that you may be nervous and may be afraid. But, but what scares me is a lot of times the answer that I hear is because I'm a good person. Because I try to live right. Because my, my good outweighs my bad. That's not a theology of the cross. A theology of the cross, a, a picture of the cross says, no, the reason that I have a right to stand before God is because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's it. It's because I was purchased by God through his son's blood. That makes me acceptable before God, not my good works. Isaiah said, a man's righteousness is as a filthy rag before God. My best deed. My best efforts, my best days before a holy and perfect God is filthy. But then some of us, we have a, an attitude like the Jews where we, we get nervous when we're talking to, in front of people about Jesus, so much so to we don't ever mention what he does, did for us on the cross. We'll talk about the testimonies that he's, that he's done in our personal life. Oh, did I tell He provides food for me. Um, he puts clothes on my back. He makes me happy. I go to church and we have a good time. And we think that that's the power of God. Personal testimonies are important. But the Bible says that what wins people to Jesus is not just our personal testimony about what he's done for us through material things and blessings, but it's about what he did for us on, on Calvary's cross. It's about how his blood heals us and frees us and gives us new life. But to some of us, that's foolish. That's moronic. Paul says, no, that's what we stand on. And then others of us, others of us we fall into a trap and, 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 and where we're like the Greeks. We're constantly looking for something other than the cross. We're constantly looking for some new creative way to God. We're constantly wanting to hear something that's going to tickle our ears and and make us feel good about ourselves. We will spend hours debating about stuff uh, as it relates to God that really doesn't, doesn't matter. The cross isn't enough. I never forget there was a, a woman I was uh, at a visiting church, and she uh, had read a book that was recommended by Oprah. 
And she came to me after the service, and I just stepped on a landmine. Some of y'all faces are like, oh my goodness, don't talk about Oprah. Don't. Don't talk about Oprah, right? <laughs> don't talk about Oprah. <laughs> Monthly subscriber, don't talk about it. So this book was recommended by Oprah, and I went on YouTube and, and saw what Oprah was saying about it. And she came up uh, to me afterwards, and she said, hey, I was uh, telling someone that you know about this book, and I want to tell you about it. Have you heard the secret? And I'm like, the secret? What's the secret? The secret to prosperity. The secret to long life. The secret to happiness. And I just knew she was about to hand me a cross-centered book. And what she handed me was a, a book called The Secret, which was really about how all you have to do is believe in your heart, see what you want, claim it, and the, the universe, the atmosphere, is going to bring it to you. She says it's, just, it's exactly what Jesus was teaching in the Bible. It's all about faith. You have to read the secret, take it back to your congregation. It is powerful. Satanic. That's human wisdom. That's conjured up. That's man's wisdom. There's no power in that. The cross is the wisdom and power of God. And when we feel like there's some other secret to life and satisfaction, we're lost. We're, we're done in for. Think about all, think about all that we have created as men. Mankind, think about all that we have achieved. We have achieved some great things. I praise God for technology. Right? Some technology I'm really happy about. Others, not so much. Um, <laughs> some of y'all have FaceTime on your phone. I'm running from that. I don't want nobody to see how I look when I'm at home. You can embrace it. I'm straight. But think about human ingenuity. Think about how we can uh, desire to be overseas, buy a ticket, and be there within days. Right? Think about medicine and medical advancement. That is beautiful. Human wisdom has done some great things. But human wisdom cannot solve our deepest problems. Human wisdom cannot answer the question of where did man come from? How did it all begin? Human wisdom cannot fulfill the God-sized hole that is shaped in our hearts. Only God's wisdom can solve our deepest problems. All this human wisdom, all this human ingenuity that we have and yet the world is becoming more and more morally corrupt. All this brain power we have, and people are still dying of starvation. Just miles away from, from home, from million-dollar homes. Human ingenuity cannot account for our evil hearts. Only the gospel of Jesus can. In fact, human ingenuity only makes us more proud of our human achievements. 
only leads us deeper into humanism, into human worship. Paul says there are are two responses. One is acceptance. The other is rejection. The the first is rejection. The other is, is acceptance. But look at verse 18. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. It is the very power of God. Meaning that the cross is what we believe changes us. Some of us, we don't believe people can change. And we say we're Christians. We talk about our saved husbands and wives as if there's no hope. We've been married for 20 years. If he ain't changed yet, he'll never change. (laughs) Is he a Christian? Yeah, but he's a special kind of Christian. (laughs) No, we believe that the cross changes us. That's exactly what Paul says here in verse number 30. Look at what he says. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Christ was the Sophie of God. Christ is the fulfillment. Uh, He is the the wisdom that's spoken of in Proverbs chapter 8 that was there before the world began. Look at what he says. Who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. No, if we're Christians, if we are followers and disciples of Jesus, we believe the power of the cross. We believe that in the cross, he says there's a a few things. Number one, there's righteousness. That's powerful. The gospel should change us. The gospel says that righteousness is not found within ourselves, it is found within Jesus, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, that there is a divine exchange that happens. All of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our filth, all of our, our, our sins are wiped away past, present, and future, and we are given a new record by God, a record that says not guilty. We are declared by God in heaven as righteous. That is powerful. That's called justification. God looks at me just as if I had never sinned. So now I walk with my head up, even though I I may have sinned two minutes ago, because I know that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That is freedom. That means that the one who matters most has declared me clean. But he says, not only are we declared righteous, not only does the gospel change us by giving us a new identity, a new perspective, but he says then Jesus is also our sanctification. Sanctification, to be set apart. He is the one who personally begins to clean us up, to set us further and further away from the world. He empowers us to change. And he's our redemption. He owns us now. We've been redeemed from the bondage of sin, the bondage of slavery. When we believe in the cross and we believe in its power, we believe that not only can we change, but we believe that it is what changes other people. Not eloquent wisdom, not eloquent words, 
Not the ability to philosophize, not the ability to put together some, some great apologetic that is devoid of Jesus. Not being creative. It's Jesus. Look at who Jesus is to us. He's our righteousness. Look at who Jesus is to us. He's, he's our sanctifying power. Look at who we have in Jesus. He is our redemption. And then he goes on to say that those who believe this, that those are the persons who boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Because at the cross we see how needy we are. At the cross we see how, how broken we are. And this, this is against the world's wisdom. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is preaching a sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he shows us how we, as Christians, those who put their faith and trust in him, how we obtain joy or happiness, blessed, makaria, happy are those. And he gives some distinctions to those who are happy. This is God's wisdom. This isn't what the world would say a happy person possesses. But this is what God says a happy person possesses. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now the world says happy people have a high self-esteem. Happy people are proud. No, the gospel says happy people are broken. They're poor in spirit. They understand that they have no righteousness. They have nothing to boast on other than Jesus. They are those who mourn. They are those who look at their own sin and say, Jesus, rescue me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The cross of Jesus is an invitation into a new kingdom where Jesus flips everything upside down. Where he says, no, the greatest in the kingdom is not the one who is served, but it is the one who is serving. The gospel is the cross. is a cross that says you can't earn your salvation. You can never satisfy God with your deeds. Salvation is by grace. It is a gift. Not of yourselves. Least any man can boast. The gospel is offensive because it's bloody. Because it takes from us what we want most. Which is human recognition. And self-worship. Our world's qualities are the exact opposite. Not blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the proud and the one who has made a a life for himself. Blessed are those who have money, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those whose hunger is always satisfied with their choice of food. 
Blessed are those who can demand mercy from others. Blessed are those who can party and enjoy all the filth that this world has to offer. Blessed are those who win arguments and show sister girl her place. Blessed are those who never have to worry about being persecuted because they're above that. Human wisdom, God's wisdom. Now look at what God does to his wisdom. Two results from the cross. Number one, the cross destroys worldly wisdom. So we looked at our two responses. Some people reject. Some people accept. Now we see the two results of the cross. The cross destroys worldly wisdom. Look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That's powerful. The Bible says that God intentionally came a different way so that those who were wise and who thought that they could figure God out without seeking him, that they would be made foolish. So that the Jews who would read the scripture, the Torah, without seeking the spirit of God and help to understand it, would not believe Isaiah 53 and not see that Jesus is both the one who reigns and the one who suffers. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He is quoting Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah is talking to Israel. And he is, is, is telling Israel that the day is coming when those who declare themselves strong will be made weak. This is a picture of the coming Messiah. And it's funny that around the same time, Isaiah is mentoring it and talking to a man by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king of Judah. And the Bible says that Assyria, a big, powerful nation, came to Israel. And their king was talking trash to Israel, telling Israel and boasting about all that he had accomplished, all the nations that he had defeated. And the Bible says that Hezekiah got afraid and he gave him some demands. He stripped all of the gold out of the sanctuary and gave it to this foreign king. But the Bible says that Isaiah came to Hezekiah and told Hezekiah that the Lord would fight this battle that he would defeat the Assyrians. And God did something that no one would expect. The Bible says that one night while the Assyrians, after they had boasted and after he, the king had, had just talked about all the might they had and all the human wisdom they had, the Bible says that, that one night when they were sleeping, God sent one angel, one angel, and defeated 185,000 Assyrians. While they were asleep, God sucked the life out of them. Isaiah was telling Hezekiah, God's wisdom isn't like your wisdom. 
Don't respond in fear. Respond in faith. God's ways are are not like our ways. Look at the storyline of the Bible. When, When Israel's back was to the Red Sea, Pharaoh was chasing them. Human, our humanity says we're dead or we've got to try to run around the sea and, and hide or do something else. But God's wisdom <laughs> says, hold on, <laughs> you see this sea? I'm the one that created it. I'm the one that's spoken into existence. Let me give you a, a VIP access. And what did he do? He split the sea in half. And Israel walked on dry ground. God's wisdom is not like man's wisdom. But so often as human beings, we look at human wisdom for the answer. Some of us are here today. All of us at some point have decided to go with human wisdom over God's wisdom. God's wisdom says, love those who hate you. God's wisdom says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. But we... We say, no, human, human wisdom says, I've got to get them back. And we make things worse than they're supposed to be. Human wisdom says, you've got to try it before you buy it. It says, go ahead, shack up. Live with that person. Make them show you, see how good you are. God's wisdom says, no, you hide your heart in me so deeply that if they're going to come and get you, they've got to go through my hand. And we bump our head over and over. I hear what God's wisdom is saying, but no, this is, what I, this is what I think I'm going to do. Because we've made God into who we want God to be. We look at ourselves and we say, no, uh, God says this, but I'm going to do this. But God is gracious and merciful and full of love, so it's going to come, it's going to, it's going to work out. Some of us, we are standing on human wisdom. God's wisdom is Christ. Christ is the word of God. It says, it destroys human wisdom. But it also liberates those who are called. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he says there's some Jews and there's some Greeks who reject God who see him as a stumbling block and and folly. But he says there's others who have come to know God as wisdom and power. God can free us from human wisdom. And he does it through the cross. There are two realities of the cross. There's two realities of God's wisdom. Verse 26 shows us the first reality. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So he says there's two uh, realities of the cross, and the first is that God doesn't use who the world would expect us to use. And the second is that God does that in order to eliminate boasting. In order to eliminate boasting. So he's telling the church of Corinth, stop putting your faith and trust in human wisdom. Stop following the latest psychology and philosophers and what the educated 
are saying about the origin of the universe and what it means to be human. He says, and start re- remembering that God doesn't come the way we think he should come, and he doesn't use the type of people that we think he should use. He says, for consider your, your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble both. Birth, he said, look at the type of people that God uses to make his church. Look at the type of people that God uses. God uses the, the Davids. Young shepherd boys out in the sheep while the prophet was looking for the next king of Israel, lined up all of his brothers. God says, no, it's, it's one more here. And it's the one that's not impressive. He uses the Jeremiah's. See, a lot of times we say stuff like, oh, man, if only God would save this person, Christianity would be so much better. Yo, if LeBron became a preacher... says, I don't need them. I I don't need the person you think that we need in order for my movement to keep going. I use the weak things. I use the person that you, you don't even expect to be used. See, this church had become proud They had become arrogant, and Paul is trying to humble them and said, remind yourself of who you were and who you are. You're not really that impressive apart from God. And your boast shouldn't be in yourself and your own abilities. Your boast should be in God's ability. But why has God did that? He did it to eliminate human boasting. Verse 26, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. No human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. The gospel humbles us all. It levels us all and reminds us that we're decorated dust. That's it. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we live in our head and we lie to ourselves. And we think that God needs us or that we're the smartest person in the room. Let me tell you something, you're never the smartest person in the room. Because the Bible says that God is omnipresent. And he's a person. What you're thinking, he knew you were going to think before you thought it. Put your faith and trust in the cross of Jesus. Put your faith and trust in God's word. Not in what culture is telling you. Not in what Piers Morgan is telling you. He has a little slogan. He brings preachers on his show, and he berates them. And he says, now, you seem like a really wise preacher. You seem like a really good preacher. You don't really believe that homosexuality is wrong. You seem smarter than that. Shouldn't the Bible be brought into the 21st century kicking and screaming? That's human wisdom. That's human wisdom. When God says sin is sin, no matter what it is, it's sin. That's human wisdom. 
Are you depending on human wisdom or God's wisdom? Are you trying to move past the cross? Are you looking for that new thing, that new psychology? That, that new book that's going to give you the secret to power? The secret to change? Or are you looking to the cross? The cross by which you were saved, the cross by which you are being changed, the cross by which you will one day be glorified. The Bible says everything else is sinking sand. Everything else is a sinkhole. Everything else is a false foundation. Look in Jesus. Don't, don't be afraid when you talk to people and you tell them you're a Christian and feel like you, can, you need to talk about everything else but Jesus? Tell them. Jesus was virgin born. Tell them with confidence. Jesus lived without sin. Every man sinned. That's where you get it wrong. Jesus wasn't just a man. He was a fully man, but he was fully God. What? I don't understand. I'm glad you don't understand. If I could understand everything about God, I wouldn't want to worship him. I don't understand everything about my wife. And I think I know her fairly well. <laughs> know everything about God? The deepest ocean couldn't hold the thoughts of God. God is so deep. So deep. He created animals that still yet to be discovered. He's got this world spinning on an invisible axis. Got galaxies and universes that's still been discovered. Astronomers are like, oh, there's another galaxy. Oh my goodness. This big bang was really big. No, this big God is really big. Putting your faith in a theory. Takes just as much faith to, to, to put your faith in a big bang theory as it does to put your faith in a resurrected king. Some of, some of you aren't Christians because you think you've got to have all the answers. I'll give, you know, if, I can just, if God can just answer this one question. God don't have to answer a question for you. <laughs> God would just do this one thing, I believe. God ain't got to prove himself to you. Paul said in Romans 1, look at the earth. Look at the heavens. Look at the mountains. Look at the rivers. Look at the sea. Look at human DNA. Has God not proved enough to you? Has God not proved enough to you? Has he not proved that he loved you by allowing his son to die in your place? You know what I think the biggest horror of hell is going to be? The biggest horror in hell is going to be having an eternity to reflect upon the foolishness that preachers preached. I was there that Sunday when that crazy hood preacher Preach 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 31. 
and talked about Jesus. And I sat there with my heart hard, rejecting what he said about Jesus with human wisdom. And I've got an eternity to think about those words. That's going to burn us up. I am now separated from everything that's good, because heaven is where, hell is where God's manifest presence of peace is not. It's where his manifest presence is not. It's where his peace is not. Instead of his presence being peace, it's now present in wrath. It's all his wrath being poured out on people because they rejected his love. It's going to be miserable when you hear your aunt, your uncle's words about, child, put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you did nothing about it. The Bible tells of one man who experienced hell and he begged Jesus. He said, let me, let me just go back home to, to warn my brothers about this place. God said, no, they, they'll have their chance. What's, what's your excuse for not following Jesus? What's your excuse for not believing in the Bible? That's you today. I beg you to put that reason down. Put that excuse down. Look to Jesus like a child looks to a mother who is feeding and nurturing her. Put your faith in him and say, I don't understand everything, but I believe that you died upon a cross and that you were resurrected. And I believe that you make all things new. What has human wisdom gotten you? It's gotten you a bitter heart of unforgiveness. It's gotten you cheap thrills that last for one weekend and then that's gone. And the next weekend, you're looking for the thrill that you had the weekend before. For some of you, it's gotten you venereal diseases. It's gotten you a lack of trust in mankind. There's hope in Jesus. There's healing in Jesus. You were created for more. You were created for more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your cross, and I pray, Father God, that your cross will be the center of our hearts, that your word and your wisdom, that it would be what we desire. Your word says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask freely, and you give it to us without reproach. But when he asks, let him ask without doubt, lest he be like a wave of the sea, tossed to and fro. So, Father God, I pray that you would give us wisdom in proclaiming your cross. I pray that you would give that person wisdom right now who's just saying, Lord, show yourself to me. Help them to see you. Help them to know you. Help them to trust in your blood. Thank you for passing over our sins. as a result of the blood being applied to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.